Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We've been going through the book of Galatians uh, for a few weeks now. We're in this third chapter. We've kind of camped out here because there's just so many important teachings that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given the church. The church is there at Galatia, right? It was his original audience, but because it's inspired, it's for the church here in Idaho Falls some 2,000 years later, praise be to God. We can glean so much from his inspired word. And the letter written to the Galatians was written to uh, a few churches in the Galatian region who had been entertaining false teachers who had come and said, yes, you need Jesus, you, he is the Messiah, but for you to completely uh, be of the way and be uh, in accordance with God, you must keep the Mosaic law, you must re- maintain circumcision, you must do all these things. And so Paul hears about these false teachers who had come in and begin to corrupt the pureness of the gospel. And he writes this very stern letter to these churches and says, you cannot mix law with grace. He'll go on in Galatians chapter 5 to say, if you mix the law with God's grace, you have fallen from grace. It is that important. Last week we talked about a few non-essential things that the church has disagreed on over the, over the century, but they're non-essential. But on this particular instance about how we can have relationship and have eternal life, it is an essential doctrine that we must stand firm in. There is no other way to gain eternal life, to have a life in heaven, other than by believing and trusting in Christ's accomplished work alone. And any religion or any teacher who begins to mix your own self-righteousness or mix religion in with what Christ has done on our behalf is a false teacher. It is not something that we can agree to disagree about. It is an essential doctrine. So we're going to go ahead and uh, read Galatians chapter 3, 19 through 26 this morning. And then we'll see what the Lord has for us in these passages of Scripture. Beginning in verse 19, the word of the Lord says this, Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. And now a mediator is not just one for, not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises, he asks? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Father, we come to you, and we just ask, 
O Lord, that you would work within us, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and change us and conform us to the image of Jesus. We pray that this time of preaching, Lord, will not just be a sermon that we check off the list, but it would be a time when you would do a mighty work in our hearts. You know each and every one and their struggles and their disillusionments and the, the things in their life that they're, they're, they constantly battle, Lord. Only you know those things. And we just ask that you would minister to them individually. As we open up your word, that your spirit would, would just do a, an amazing work in them, beginning in my own heart, Father. We desire to meet with you today. We desire to, to know more about you th- this morning. And we desire to walk out of here, change more into Jesus. And we know it can only happen, Lord, if your spirit does a work within us. And so we ask that you would do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we have this passage of Scripture. This is Paul's attempt or his argue, in his argument to demonstrate that it was never God's intention to save a people through the law by giving the law and keeping the law. That was never God's intention. It always has been based back to the Abrahamic promise, the promise given to Abraham when he put Abraham asleep. So Abraham knew he had nothing to do with it, and it was all of God. And we went through that last week, how... The fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise was to Abraham's seed, singular seed, who is Christ. The fulfillment of the promise is Christ, in Christ. And those of us who are, hear the gospel message and believe and receive Jesus and turn from any other religiosity or any other ways of trying to gain favor with God and trust in Christ's accomplished work, the, the scriptures declare that we are born again, we are made a new creature, and we are added into the body of Christ. We are in Christ. So when the Father looks at us, he does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Jesus paid our sin for our sin on the cross. He took that penalty that you and I deserve so that we would then be clothed in his righteousness. We have nothing to boast in. It is a gift given to us by God. But the logical next question is then why did God some 430 years later give Moses the law? If that was never God's intention. That's a Very logical question. And so Paul attempts in this passage of Scripture to provide an argument for those people there in the Galatian region and for us as to why God gave the law if it was never his intention to save people by the law. So let's see what the Lord has for us here. And beginning in verse 19, Paul says, Why then was the law given? Right? The next question. And he says, It was added for the sake of of transgressions until the seed, that's Christ, to whom the promises made would come. And so he answers the question right away. It was added for the sake of transgressions, of our sin. Have you ever, I don't think any of us have the time to sit around and philosophize about certain things, but let me ask you a couple questions. How would you know what cold is if it was always hot? Like if it was just 102, to me that's hot. Some of you desert dwellers may think that's like springtime weather, but that's hot to me. But if it was just 102 every day, 
and we, we could rationalize and talk about thinking about what would it be like to have a cold temperature or what, what is cold? We would never know and experience cold because we've never experienced, we would never have experienced it, right? We know hot and cold because we, and especially in Idaho, we experience both, right? We know what cold is. Just step outside. Come August, we know what hot is. How about night or light and darkness? If it was just light all the time, we wouldn't know what darkness truly was. We would never experience it. And because we have those different, uh, have experienced those different things, we know what it means to be in light or be in darkness. And I think Paul's argument is, is, giving the, the, is kind of pointing us to that same type of thinking that God has given us the law because we need to understand how truly sinful we are in the eyes of a holy and just God. And if God's law was not, he did not reveal it to us and promised, as he promised to preserve it for us, we would not know truly how sinful we are. We would be like the people and judges and we would just walk around deciding what was right in our own eyes. Well, I guess our culture kind of does that today, doesn't it? What's right for them is right for them. What's wrong for them is wrong for them. And don't you dare tell them that there's an absolute moral authority over them. A creator God who has demonstrated and given a perspective of who he is as the law is ultimately a reflection of our holy God. And so even though God knows we were sinners and there was no way for us to, in our own self-righteousness, to keep the law for our entire lives and all of eternity... To be able to have relationship with him. He knew that from the foundations of the world. We know Christ was chosen from the foundations of the world to save a people. But the law was instituted to show us and to show through the children of Israel just how sinful we truly are. It was added for the sake of transgressions, for the sake of our sin. We are a wandering people. Imagine a people who did not have God's moral law. We would just wander and do whatever we wanted to do. He gave it and instituted it to the children of Moses so that they would have guide rails and they would understand who their God was and, and, they, and were, were, they were told that they must follow the law and keep the law, right? The, the constant, uh, these are previous messages in, the, in this sermon in Galatians about he that keeps the holy law yet offends on one point. He is guilty of it all. The law is burdensome. And we see the children of Israel doing good for a little while, but failing time and time and time again. And no longer worshiping their God and instead building idols. But God gave us the law so we could see just how, for the sake of transgressions, to see how sinful we truly are in the eyes of a holy God. Let's move on here. The law was put into effect through angels in this context probably messengers by means of a mediator. That would be Moses. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone. So he's, Paul's saying, look, it wasn't just given to Moses for himself. It was given to one mediator for many people, for us, for all of humanity. God chose Moses to be the mediator in which we were to be given 
the Mosaic Law. So he says, look, it's not, wasn't just for Moses. Moses wasn't the, the end-all, be-all. He gets, concludes there in verse 20 and says, but God is one. Tara, the slides aren't working. But God is one. It ends, it starts with God, and it ends with God. He is the creator of this universe. He dictates what is right and what is wrong, what is holy, what is unholy, what is good, what is evil. It starts and ends with God. How important it is for us to understand that. But God is one. Is that freezing up back there, hon? All right, thanks. God is one. In Colossians, it talks about just this, gives us, Paul gives us this beautiful description of Jesus. And he says that he created all things, both visible and invisible, and he created it for his good pleasure. This creation wasn't for us and our good pleasure, this creation was for God's good pleasure. And as we understand that and we see it in God's word, as we learn to, to turn from our own desires and desire to, to be our, the God of self and follow and seek after God, we find pleasure in what he's created us for. It starts and ends with God. Verse 21. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Right? Is it Contrary, why? You know, that's another question that someone was trying to demonstrate the, the fallacious argumentation that Paul is writing here. Well, how can, that, how can it be a promise, but then God gives us the law 430 years later? Doesn't that contradict what God was trying to do? And what is his answer? Absolutely not. Why? Because the promise given to Abraham and the law were given for different purposes. The promise given to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, was, was a purpose that God would save a people through Christ and his accomplished and salvific work. The law wasn't given to save people. The law was given to show us how truly sinful we are in the eyes of a holy God, how we were born separated from him, how we were born rebellious against him, Wayne read Ephesians 2 this morning. It gives a great synopsis of who we were before Christ. So absolutely not. The law, therefore, does not contradict the promise because they were given for different purposes. So what was the purpose? For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Paul's saying, look, if you can gain eternal life and and gain favor with God by keeping the law, it would certainly be through the law. Our Lord Jesus would not have to have taken on flesh, come into this earth, live the law perfectly for us on our account because he's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. He's also not only man, but eternal God who could keep the eternal law. He was not separated like we were born separated from God because he is God in the flesh. He lived that life for us only to be scorned and ridiculed and mocked and ultimately whipped and beaten and hung on a tree. Cursed is the one 
who hangs on the tree, the Old Testament prophets declare. Our salvation that is in Christ is a free gift of God, but it did not, was not free for God. He sent his one and only son to die for you. To be scorned by the creation that was created for him. Those same men that hung Jesus on the cross were given life and nurtured by the God that they hung on the cross. So certainly, if we could have eternal life by keeping the law, God would not have been have to do, have done that. But that's the case. That is what God had to do to save us this morning. To send his son to die on our behalf, to have the wrath of God poured upon the son of God so that you and I can enjoy blessing instead of curse. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be beyond the basis of the law. Verse 22 But the scripture imprisoned us. So another purpose for the law. You read the law, the Ten Commandments. Um, Way of the Master, there's a gentleman, um, he's escaping. If you go to wayofthemaster.com, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name right now. Kirk Cameron's buddies with him. They go around to Long Beach, to the beach and stuff like that. And they use the Ten Commandments as a means to demonstrate to people how severely they fall short. In the eyes of a holy God, they'll say, hey, so this is the Ten Commandments. Have you, ever, have you ever lied? Right? And if they say they've never lied, then that's their first lie. But you'll see them on, they have countless videos of just walking up to strangers and saying, hey, this is God's law. This is a reflection of who God has revealed himself to be. And he says you have to keep these. And they'll go through them and you'll just see this conviction come upon them time and time again. As they realize If that is God's standard, I'm in a lot of trouble. The scripture imprisons us, or the law, the Old Testament law, without Christ, bears us in bondage to sin. That is our master. And we're under sin's power, it says, so that the promise, why? So that the promise might be given so the God instituted the scriptures, the law, so that we'd be imprisoned, everything under sin's power, and then we would see our need for Jesus, our Savior, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. The law was given so that we would see our sinfulness and see that we are imprisoned and held captive by it. And then, just as we understand light versus dark, we now see just how truly sinful we are and how truly righteous Jesus is. And we see the beautiful gift that he extends to us if we would just trust and believe in his accomplished work alone. By the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe, you will gain eternal life. All because of what Christ has done. We go on, the law imprisons us. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned. Can you see us in a, in a dungeon, like shackled? That, that, is, that was us. That, we, that, is our, that is our master. 
before this faith, before this faith, this ability to place our faith in Christ came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. And your translation might say tutor instead of guardian. But he's using a, a, an analogy of that time period where well-to-do Greeks and Romans would, if they had many events and were busy, they'd go out and they'd hire slaves to come in and tutor their children. And so even though they were slaves, they were brought into the house and they were told to, to teach the children and, and keep the children in line. And these are the rules of the house. Can you, can you keep the, our children from disobeying the rules of the house? And so this slave was given authority. But that's all the slave could do was keep those kids in line. Keep them in line with what the parents dictated they want done with their kids. The slave had no ability to give them life. Mom and dad gave them life. Our father gives us life through Christ. The law does not have the ability to give us eternal life. But it was given as a guardian to show and demonstrate to the children of Israel and ultimately us who our God is and how holy he is. The separation of the children of Israel versus, Israel versus the other um, inhabitants of the land, the, the rules about uh, separation of the, of the animals. You can't eat these, you can't eat these. Those are all a demonstration of the requirement, the righteous requirement of a holy God and ultimately our inability to keep it. But in that law, Christ has fulfilled it for us so that you and I today can be justified by faith, by believing and trusting in Christ. Will you come? Will you turn from your own religious ways, from your own self-righteousness, from being the God of self? Will you turn and trust in Christ alone this morning and be justified by faith and that what Christ has accomplished, you will have eternal life. That is the gospel call. It is up to you to repent and believe it and trust it. That is the call extended. Will you trust in Christ? I promise you, you have not done enough good to outweigh your bad in the eyes of a holy God. You will be judged according to your works. And you will spend an eternity in hell and under God's curse. But today you can turn and trust in Christ. You can allow his righteousness to clothe you. And instead of that eternity under God's curse, you will spend an eternity in God's blessing. I beg you to come. Trust in Christ this morning. And there's a, a, another thing that we need to kind of tackle here as we critically think about this. We, we've been talking about the law, and we know the Old Testament, the law was given to the Jewish people. And so we might think as Gentiles, those outside the Jewish nation, what about us? We weren't under that law. Well, the scriptures speak to that, Romans 1, 18 through 20. 
Romans 1.18 through 20 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. So everyone. The Apostle Paul spends the first three chapters of Romans just masterfully laying out. Yes, the Jews have the law, but that does not leave the Gentiles guiltless. And his conclusion in Romans chapter 3 is, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he says here, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who have their unrighteousness, who, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They're, given with a, they're born with a conscience, God is saying. Of what right and wrong is the, the, the universe God has created demands a creator. They are without excuse, he'll go on to say. But instead of seeking that truth and who their creator is, they suppress that truth that they're born with, that conscience, by their unrighteousness. And since what came, what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For he, his invisible attributes, who God is, he's spirit, but his invisible attributes, his holiness, all these things, these uh, things he's revealed, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And Paul's conclusion, as a result, people are without excuse. We are all Sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God. And unless you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you will be judged according to your unrighteousness. Romans 3.20, he kind of gives us a good synopsis for us Gentile people. For no one will be justified in, the sight, in his sight, God's sight, by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. How does a Gentile know? They have sin by being made aware of the knowledge of the law. It's, James calls it a, a mirror. I remember when I was 15 years old, my, I have to endure this. Every time I go to see my mother, she always seems to bring it up. When I was 15 years old, I, my good friend got his driver's license, and so we've, we, we got our freedom we lived up in a mountain valley, mountainous valley, and uh, he didn't have insurance. And I lied to my mom about that. Oh, yeah, he's got insurance. He didn't have insurance. And, uh, you know, the rule was that we could never take this curvy road down to the, uh, through the canyon down to the city because it was too dangerous, and he had just started driving. So that was off limits. But there was a girl down there in that city that I wanted to go see. So I lied to my mother about that and said, we're going to go upriver, and we're going to go swimming when I actually went to the city. And on the way home, we got in a really bad car accident. And my head, I'm sure some of you have noticed the scars on the side of my face. My head went through the side window and got hauled off to the hospital there in in the city. And my mom and dad get a call saying, your son's been in an accident. He's down here in in the city an hour away. So they're thinking I got life lighted because I was supposed to be up the river swimming, right? Um, And we can't tell you if he's dead or alive until you get here. So they had to spend an hour, you know. So, yeah, I have to bear that every time. And I hope it's a good lesson for my girls how one simple lie can lead to so many 
disastrous consequences. But my face was so messed up. And the doctors had told my, my mom, make sure he, he probably shouldn't see his, his face right now. And I, my brother told me just this last, uh, this Christmas, he said when he went to see me, he turned around the corner, he walked, kind of started going in the room, and he saw how big my head was, and he just got nauseous, and he had to, he had to leave. He's like, I couldn't even go in the room, bro. It was, it was bad. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm getting better. And, you know, I, 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 hey, I need to go to the bathroom. They're like, well, you just you got to use the utensils that they give. I'm like, no, I, I want to. They're like, no, you should probably stay in bed. So they left, and I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I grabbed my IV thing, right? Well, they, they didn't want me to go to the bathroom because they didn't want me to see my, my image in the mirror. And I walked into that bathroom, and I saw my face. And I was so overwhelmed by just how ugly it was and how marred it was that I passed out. Some 12 years later, I go to a church invited by my neighbor. The gospel's preached. Scriptures are opened. And the mirror of the law of God shined upon me. And through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I saw just how ugly my sin was and how truly deserving I was of God's judgment through the convicting power of the Spirit. My physical appearance was nothing. It fixed itself by God and a couple of plastic surgeons, but nothing could fix the ugliness of my heart. There's nothing I could do except for turn and trust in Christ alone. That he would give me a new heart that pursues after God. That is what the law is intended to do for us to see how truly ugly our sin is in the eyes of a holy God. And if he would just turn and trust in Christ, he would give you a new heart. And the beautiful part is as you are in Christ and you're clothed in his righteousness, the law is no longer a condemning. And instead of having a gun to our head every time we're going to mess up and violate the law, the law is a means in which we try to, to live in this world to reflect God's holiness and God's goodness. If that's who God is and he desires us to be like him, through the power of the Spirit, we can go out and we can, we can follow the right. Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments but it's out of love for what he's done no longer out of fear for what will happen if we don't do it it changes the game we reflect God's holiness he desires us to be a holy people but we do it in the empowerment of the spirit as we'll get into Galatians and walking in the spirit and all that what all that means but it's no longer out of fear us parents in here my children are maturing and coming of age. And the, the biggest blessing of a, me being a parent is when my children desire to obey because they love me and not have, because they're fearful of what's going to happen if they don't. They're reflecting the love I've given them. They're loving me back. And that's what the gospel does. God, you've done so much. You've given me eternal life. How can I love that back? It's called the law of Christ. Love God. 
heart, soul, mind, and love others as Christ has loved us. So the law has an important part in our life, but it's no longer condemning. It's a means in which we can see and understand who our God is and through the empowerment of the Spirit reflect who he truly is in this world who desperately needs to know who God is and how they can have relationship with him. He goes on in Galatians there. We are heirs by faith is my title point here. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. No need for the tutor because Christ has come and fulfilled it for us. We are in Christ now. It is his righteousness. It is the power of the Spirit who is the down payment of our internal inheritance that indwells the heart of the believer. No longer need for the guardian or the tutor. Why? Because we're heirs. We are sons and daughters of God. For through faith, you are all sons of God or daughters of God in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? That is your inheritance. And this inheritance will never run out. It's an eternal inheritance given to you through the gracious offering of our Lord Jesus Christ. You must be in Christ to be a recipient of the promise given to Abraham. You must be in Christ because that promise was fulfilled in him. And if you're in Christ, you too are forever in Christ or God's blessing. Paul uh, just does a great, just uh, Ephesians 1. And when I get down and start getting my eyes too focused on all the trouble and darkness of this world, I always like to go to Ephesians 1 and 2. Ephesians 1 reminds us of the inheritance that, we are, that is ours already. That no matter what happens this week or next in this world, it has no bearing on my inheritance that is to come. I hope you can say the same. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. The promise of blessing given to Abraham is ours because we're in Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Why? Because we're in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us. That's my favorite verse in the Bible, I think. He didn't just pour out a little bit of grace. He lavished it on us. The grace, unmerited love and favor extended to us. We've done nothing to deserve it. But yet he's lavished that unmerited love upon us. That he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. 
that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good, his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? Both things in heaven and the things in earth, on earth, in him. In him. Are you in Christ this morning? In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Do you see what he's saying? This is our inheritance given to us. It's all of God. It's all in Christ. But as we receive that and begin to understand what Christ has truly done, the things of this world, the concerns of this world just melt away. And instead we live a life to bring praise to God for what he's done, to bring praise to his glory. We're heirs. We are children of God. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is who we are, church. Don't let this world change or make you think otherwise. Who you are in Christ is not your economic condition. Who you are in Christ has nothing to do with the position you hold at the job you work in. You are a child of God because what Christ has done. Verse 13 in Ephesians, In Him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So he says, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. I'm not up here saying, believe in Jesus and then pick yourself up by your bootstraps and be a good Christian. You've been given the third person of our triune God indwells you. And he desires to empower you to live this life in this world for him. And as we learn to walk in the spirit, let him lead us, empower us for this living We're able to do it, not because of our own strength, but because of what he's doing in us. What an amazing gift he's done. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful, Lord, that you've, uh, you've made a way. You've done this for us. It is so overwhelming, God, what you've done, even though we see and understand just how wicked and sinful we are. You love us. You don't just tell us you love us. You've demonstrated your love by sending your son to die on our account. By allowing your son to take the punishment that we all deserve. And so we offer our thanksgiving this morning, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to live a life through the empowerment of your spirit that reflects the praise of your glory to those around us. God, I pray for those that might be listening this morning who are outside of Christ, who remain under your curse, 
I pray that your spirit would do a, a mighty work in their heart. I can't convince them. It is the work of the spirit. God, and I just pray that your spirit would do, do a work for the praise of your glorious grace, God, that you would save another from what they truly deserve and that you would place them into the family of God, into the bride of Christ, that they too may enjoy blessing and relationship with you for what Christ has done. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. We're going to have a song of invitation.